This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for online success that helps you build the perfect website to make your business stand out. Whether you're starting a passion project or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy for you to create beautiful websites, engage with your audience, and sell anything from products to content to time, all in one place on your terms. Unless you're a pro-coding design wizard, and confession time, I'm very much not, making a quality, good-looking website can feel like one of the hardest bits of business. That's why Squarespace is here to help you every step of the way, providing fully customizable professional layouts and templates to choose from. It can also take care of those fiddly bits like device optimization, paywalls, and invoicing. So if, like me, you're more at home with manuscripts than JavaScript, Squarespace is the tool for you. Head to squarespace.com slash history10 for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use offer code HISTORY10, that's HISTORY10, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Roars and crashes echo around the open fields at Lagny-sous-Marne in northern France, carrying across the landscape for miles around. Horses whinny and men bellow orders at each other. Lances are thrust into heavy wooden shields. Long swords clang into thick armour. Maces slam into full-face metal helms. Battle cries, threats and challenges all ring out together, issued in half a dozen dialects and languages. It's early November 1179. The leaves have fallen from the trees and are turning to mush underfoot. The air has a bite to it, the kind of cold that gets into your bones. No matter, at Lanyusuman, a huge tournament is underway. It's a mock battle contested by thousands of the bravest and most skillful knights in all of Western Europe and watched by cheering crowds of well-heeled supporters. This tournament has been organised to celebrate a coronation. The French king Louis VII is in a bad way. He's 59 years old and has recently suffered a massive stroke, leaving him paralysed down his whole right side. As Louis's life force ebbs away, he's arranged for his only son, 14-year-old Philip, to be crowned as his co-king and successor. Louis is too ill to attend the coronation ceremony on November the 1st, but it's a glittering affair all the same. And the celebratory tournament a few days later is every bit as glamorous. If you're a knight in Western Europe, this is the place to be. The best competitors win great fame and lavish prizes. The star of the coronation is obviously young Philip, but the star of the tournament is another co-king. At 24, this guy is 10 years older than Philip, a proper grown-up and a seriously accomplished horseman. He's mastered all the martial arts a knightly warrior in the 12th century needs to know. He's handsome, proud, and hard to put down in a fight. And he rides with a posse of other cool and hard-nosed young knights, all of them masters of swinging swords and breaking hearts. He is, of course, our friend Henry the Young King, son and heir of Henry II of England, destined one day to take over the Plantagenet Empire. He's one of the most famous men in Europe, 
although not entirely for the right reasons. After the chaos of the War Without Love in 1173-74, the young king has accepted that he'll have to wait his turn to take over the family business. In the meantime, he's going to have some fun. He's built up a tournament team that's one of the best around. Like an ambitious modern sports franchise owner, young Henry has recruited the top talent in the market. The bravest young knights in France, Flanders and Champagne, says one source from the time. Backed by his father's deep pockets, he pays them all astronomical wages, 20 shillings a day. In Plantagenet times, that's the equivalent of a top NFL quarterback taking home $40 million a season, or a Premier League star earning £500,000 a week. Of course, unlike a sports team owner, but in true jock style, the young king actually picks himself for his own team, along with his younger brother Geoffrey. But to be fair, they're both well worth their places. The members of Team Young King live for occasions like the coronation tournament at Lany Suman. They thrive on attention. They adore showing off how many horses and what fine armour they have. They gag for macho contests and fighting. And a tournament like this is the pinnacle of the circuit. It's like the Super Bowl, the Monaco Grand Prix and a UFC event all rolled into one. When the action starts, Team Young King throw themselves into it with gusto. One of Young Henry's gang, William Marshall, describes those opening moments. I can tell you that encounter was not a stealthy affair. Indeed, there was great noise and tumult as all strove to deal mighty blows. There you would have heard such a great clash of lances, with each company shouting out its battle cry. Horses fell down there thick and fast, and the men who fell with them were badly trampled and injured, damaged and disfigured. The mass brawl of a tournament isn't real war, but it's not far off. As you heard there from Marshall, injuries were common. One unlucky horse kick or hammer blow, and you'd be a goner. Today at Lagny, Henry the Young King his brother Geoffrey and his top knight Marshall will risk everything to prove themselves the worthiest young knights in the world. Because in the mad world of the Plantagenets, you never know when the games will stop and the fight will start again for real. I'm Dan Jones and from Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is History. A dynasty to die for. Episode 14, Melee. In the last episode, we saw old Henry imprison his own wife after she joined their son's teenage rebellion against him in the war without love. In this episode, I want to look at what life was like for that younger generation of Plantagenet boys as they hit early adulthood in the late 1170s. We rejoin their story six years on from the war, mum still being held captive by dad, dad still refusing to hand over the reins of power. 
They're frustrated, but old Henry crushed their puny rebellion, and they have to live with it. So, at the end of this crucial decade in Plantagenet history, they're channeling their energies into mock combat on the tournament circuit. But what exactly is a tournament? When most people hear the word, they probably think of Game of Thrones or a knight's tale. Individual knights jousting in front of crowds of swooning maidens and indulgent royal spectators waving handkerchiefs. And that's not totally wrong. There are definitely tournaments which look like that. But those belong to the 15th and 16th centuries. In the age we're talking about, the 12th century, tournaments are much bigger, rowdier, bloodier affairs. They're big social occasions for sure. But if you'll allow me just one more slightly spurious modern-day sports analogy, they have more in common with a bare-knuckle boxing contest than they do the Wimbledon Lawn Tennis Championships. So how does a tournament work in the early Plantagenet years? Well, once a lord decides to organise one, they get the word out that on such and such a date and in such and such a place, anyone who thinks they're hard enough should come along. The news might be shared by official messengers or it might spread on the grapevine. There are no tournament freak WhatsApp groups, obviously, but there is a tournament season of sorts. And there are networks of young knights and tournament team owners who will gossip about upcoming events. One way or another, in the Middle Ages, word gets around. Competitors do have to be careful. There are some places where tournaments are illegal. Places like England, for example. Old Henry II is somewhat suspicious of tournaments. He doesn't mind his sons taking part, and he'll grudgingly allow them in certain parts of his empire, but by and large he thinks these contests are politically dangerous and an opportunity for unrest and plotting to spread. So he tends not to hold them on his own turf. The heartland of tournamenting is northern France, and especially the Champagne area. There, more or less anything goes. How many people turn up to a tournament can vary. At a small one, it could be a few dozen nights. But at a big one, like the coronation tournament at Lagny-sur-Marne, hundreds or even thousands of contestants will show up. What's more, every knight is going to bring several horses, a gang of squires, grooms and other attendants, tents, weapons and so on. On top of that is what we might call facilities. Heralds to announce the participants and call the action, blacksmiths to mend weapons and shoe horses, catering staff and food stalls, entertainers and musicians, big crowds of spectators, and the more unsavoury hangers-on, pimps, pickpockets, gamblers, boozers. You get the picture. We're talking about a massive festival centred on watching people bash in each other's heads. In this week's subscriber episode, we'll dig into some of the most famous tournaments and fighters of the whole Middle Ages. But besides the basic entertainment value for the onlookers, what's the point of the tournament? Why would a knight risk their neck in the first place? There are three big reasons. The first is that knights need to train for war. The centrepiece of a tournament is the melee, the mock battle, 
in which teams of knights fight on horseback and try to take prisoners from the other sides. If you're a knight, the more of this stuff you do, the better prepared you're going to be when a real war breaks out. The second reason is that tournaments are a way to get rich. Again, the aim of the game is to take prisoners, not to kill people. And that's how you cash in. You take a knight prisoner. You do this by getting close enough to grab hold of his horse's bridle, having beaten him up sufficiently that he can't fight you off. Then you drag him off to a sort of safe zone where he's honour bound to hand over to you his horse, saddle, armour and weapons. In other words, all his expensive kit. This is now yours and you can either keep it or demand a ransom payment to hand it back. The chances are he, or his lord, is going to pay up. So if you have a good tournament, it's an excellent payday. If you have a good run of tournaments, you can make some proper money. The final reason knights like tournaments is a bit more high-minded. At the heart of chivalry, that's knightly culture, is the idea of having a good and noble reputation. It's like a social credit rating. The way to boost your reputation is to perform valiant deeds of arms. The better you do at tournaments, the more social credit you accrue. The more people rate you, the better marriage you might achieve and the more prestigious parties you'll be invited to. That's valuable in itself. In fact, it's invaluable, especially for men like Henry the Young King. As we know, the young king has lots of money and titles, but he's been denied the chance to establish a serious military reputation in the way that his dad has done. And when he tried, he seriously screwed it up. That's why the tournament appeals to him so much. It might only be a game at the end of the day, but it's a game played with deadly intent, and it offers a route to glory for the young king that his father can't spoil. But will he seize his moment, or will he choke? When Henry III chose his royal advisers, he ended up with some very untrustworthy power grabbers, which led to poor management decisions, rebellions, and at least one person in prison. Why didn't he use Indeed? Well, Indeed wasn't around back then, but it is today. Indeed is the ultimate hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and matching technology that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. When I was hiring, I didn't use Indeed either, and the process was very slow and stressful, so I wish I had. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. So what happens that day at the Lanyi Suman tournament? We can get a vivid picture of the young king in action from the perspective of William Marshall, the young king's wingman I mentioned earlier. The story of Marshall's life was written up as an epic poem in the early 13th century. Someone else wrote it on Marshall's behalf, but it was based on Marshall's own testimonies. It's full of incredible detail about the Plantagenet world, and we'll get stuck into it more in another episode. But for now, I just want to pull out some more of its description of the tournament. For me, it's as good as any bit of modern-day sports reporting. When the fighting begins, it's barely organised chaos. There are so many knights on the field and so many different banners flying that it's almost impossible to work out what's going on. The entire field of combat was swarming, says Marshall's biography. The plain was so full of men that there was not an inch of ground to be seen. So for a while, there's a sort of free-for-all, with prisoners being taken amid the smash and bash of the melee. But at this point, not everyone is involved. The young king and his brother Geoffrey hang back to get a feel for the contest. When they've sussed it out, young Henry says, This has gone on long enough. And the two brothers spur their horses and charge in, surrounded by their teammates. The opposing team they're charging at beat a retreat, and the young king's men chase them through a vineyard, trampling their horses over closely planted grapevines. As they ride, young Geoffrey is out in front, and he and his companions get a bit overexcited for all the usual reasons. Some were intent on performing well in combat, others were bent on booty, says William Marshall's biography. They're so focused on the punch-up and the plunder that they all fail to notice that the young king gets left behind in the chase. Before long, he's on his own, and when he looks over the vineyard to his right, he sees a daunting sight. 40 knights from another team coming his way. Well, I say daunting, but it seems like the young king is just as up for a rumble as his younger brother. Despite the odds, he tucks his lance under his arm and gallops towards the danger. The clash was so ferocious that his lance was shattered as easily as if it had been made of glass, says Marshall's account. Young Henry's charge is very dramatic, but it's also a very silly idea, because as soon as his lance is shattered, the enemy knights grab his horse's bridle and start trying to knock the helmet off his head. That's the signal that he's defenceless and will have to surrender. He's moments away from being formally captured, which will be a disaster and will ruin young Henry's reputation. But this is sport, and as we all know, sport at its best is about near misses and courageous comebacks. Just as all seems lost, up charges his best pal, William Marshall, along with another knight from Team Young King, William de Preaux. This second William had actually already been captured that day, but had snuck out from the holding pen, found a horse and ridden back into the melee, without any armour on, and nothing more than an iron cap on his head. Together, the two Williams hammer into the scrum around the young king. They lash out at the men trying to capture him. They know the numbers are heavily against them, 
So instead of trying to fight the opponents off, Marshall manages to get a hand on the young king's horse's harness and bridle. He yanks these clean off the horse's head and throws them on the ground so the other knights can't use it to drag Henry off to the prison zone. Then William number two, de Préau, wraps his arm around the horse's neck and tries to pull it and the young king clear of the fight. All the while, blows are coming down on the unarmored de Préau, who we have to assume is gonna be pretty sore in the morning. The young king has finally lost his helmet, so ordinarily he would probably surrender Yet Marshall is still battering away at everyone, fighting with great ferocity and meeting out powerful blows. But despite putting up an incredible defense, they're still greatly outnumbered. The rest of Team Young King are long gone. In fact, they've run out of steam and are now being chased by the same men they had been chasing through the vineyards. What saves the day is that another company of enemy knights, about 30 of them, see young Henry in trouble and decide to bundle in and capture him for themselves, which creates even more confusion. The apparently tireless Marshal starts fighting with this new lot, while William de Préau finally manages to sneak the young king away to safety. He lives to fight another day, and as far as we know, the fighting continues until everyone is exhausted and or it's too dark to see who you're hitting. All in all, it's considered a very successful tournament and a fine way to celebrate a new king of France. As for the hero of the hour, well... Those who witnessed the event and those who heard tell of it said that never before had finer blows been witnessed from a single knight or known of as those dealt by Marshall that day, says our account of the tournament. Obviously, the source for that glowing review is none other than William Marshall himself, so maybe we have to take it all with a pinch of salt. And although Team Young King have been at the centre of the highest drama of the day, who knows if they'll be able to take that form to the field if a real war breaks out again. For now, though, none of that matters. The Young King is staying out of trouble and rebuilding his reputation in a way that suits him down to the ground. Which, as it happens, is exactly what another of the Plantagenet children is doing down in Aquitaine. Next time, we'll finally get to know Richard the Lionheart and find out how this second son takes after his dad in more ways than one. On This Is History. If you're craving more Plantagenet drama now, I've got you covered. Join me on This Is History Plus, where every week I reveal the weird details, fun facts and fascinating subplots we don't have time for in the main story. This time we're going to hear the stories behind the most famous tournaments and knights of the Middle Ages. And on top of that, as a subscriber, you'll get all our episodes ad-free. Just visit This Is History on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Or visit thisishistorypod.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a rating or a review. It's a great way to support us and help new people find the podcast.